0: Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Wayne and Kathy show. I'm your host, Kathy Zhang. So today I'm going to bring you a very special interview. 23 years ago today in China, a group of some 100 million people were banned and suppressed by the Chinese Communist government overnight and quickly attracted international attention. Those are the Chinese people who practice a meditation exercise called Falun Gong. Over the past 23 years, from China to the whole world, more and more people have learned about Falun Gong. But still, some questions have been consistently lingering in people's mind. What is indeed Falun Gong? And why did the Chinese Communist government suppress Falun Gong? So today uh, we will approach Falun Gong through the perspective of an American journalist and uh, try to answer these questions. So the guest I interviewed is called uh, Ethan Gutman. He is an author, award-winning China analyst and investigative human rights journalist. Currently, Ethan Gutman is a senior fellow at the Washington, D.C.-based think tank, the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Ethan used to do business and work in Beijing, and later he wrote two books about China based on his own experiences and research. One is called Losing the New China and The second one is called the slaughter, mass killing, organ harvesting, and China's secret solution to its dissident problem. Ethan Gutman has testified before the U.S. Congress, the Canadian Parliament, and the European Parliament, as well as agents like the CIA and the United Nations, etc. He was a nominated. He was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. So before we go on with my interview with Ethan Gutman, please remember to click like if you do like our show, and uh, you know make sure you subscribe. All right. So when did Ethan Gutman started to pay attention to Falun Gong, and for what reason? He told me it goes back to exactly 23 years ago, on July 21st, 1999.
1: I was in front of Zhongnanhai High watching old women be thrown into buses. You did? Yes.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Well, I was working at um, uh, basically a a studio for Beijing TV at the time, which is a Chinese Communist propaganda station. And I was the uh, foreigner there, and uh, the a couple of the producers came in and said, "Ethan, they're talking about Falun Gong on TV, and that was that was the that was the crackdown." But then they said something's happening over at Jiangnan High this one day, and you I
0: remember when.
1: Well, I guess it must actually not have been July 20th. It was probably July 21st because that's the way it really worked, wasn't it? That the persecution sort of came down overnight. And uh, it wasn't really till the next day that that the reaction started. But I heard that something was going on, and so I was worried about going over there and sort of appearing to spy on it or something like that. So what I did was I put on this silly hat that I had, and I I had a Starbucks bag, so it looked like I was a tourist, right? So I had a bike. You were and prepared. Yeah, I was prepared to look like a sort of lost tourist. That's what, you know, oh. You know. So I went biking over there. It wasn't that far from the office. And when I got there, it was, it was sort of the end of it. They had a bunch of uh, Falun Gong practitioners who'd shown up, I guess, at jong high, and they were taking them off in buses. I now understand they were taking them to big stadiums. They were going to put them in the stadium and sort of process them. And they were still pushing the women on the, onto these buses. That's all I saw. But it told me something, that this was serious. Uh, something was happening. There was another thing that happened that the day of the announcement which was, I guess, just the day before, uh, was while we were watching the television program that was denouncing Falun Gong, uh, a sound truck, you know a sound truck? Mm-hmm. It's a truck that just, you know, the loudspeakers, and came out and it was going around the parking lot saying Falun Gong is forbidden, do not practice Falun Gong. This appeared while we were watching this program, Propaganda Gets thrown and So the day was quite, I remember it very distinctly. And some of the women started to cry inside the studio. One of the women. I said, why are you crying? And she said, uh, it's just like the culture revolution. So at that moment, how
0: did Ethan feel?
1: I felt like, have you ever been invited over to somebody's house and a family's house and they start fighting at dinner? That's how I felt, like embarrassed, like I'm seeing something I'm not supposed to really see. That's how I felt. I don't understand why they're fighting. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why these people this person's crying, this person's yelling, I don't know why. And I wish I wasn't here. Uh, So that's (laughs) that's about how I felt about it. I did not have any great understanding of the situation or anything like that. Uh,
0: When did you start to understand what's going
1: on? uh, It was a very slow process. What happened was that um, it was mainly when I was in the West. I I think one thing that really impressed me, uh, after my first book came out, Uh, losing the new china a lot of practitioners were very attracted to that book and they they liked that book and they talked to me about it and they said why don't you do more writing about Falun Gong and I said is Falun Gong exist anymore show me a Falun Gong practitioner from China and maybe I'll I'll consider that and two weeks later this young woman in New York City came up with, she said I have somebody from China who's just come over. Would you like to have lunch with her? And so I did. And she is from a little village and she practiced Falun Gong and uh, apparently she was getting away with it. So it's like, okay. So then I became more interested in, in, in starting to cover it. Um, but there was another thing too, which was uh, I knew that Falun Gong was a huge issue. There was no question it was the biggest issue in China, period. I had no question about this. I understood that from living there. I understood that from reading the Chinese press, I could read between the lines. I thought anybody who didn't understand that was an idiot, was a fool, or didn't really understand China. Okay.
0: Then Ethan started to look into what had been written about Falun Gong by Western journalists, and he felt they weren't very good.
1: Okay, they're awful books, okay? They're really bad. What, what gives a writer this idea that they are suddenly a, a guru? That they can pronounce on whether a, a faith is a faith or not? I, I think this is amazing arrogance, okay? Really, it floors me. It's like, I don't have any particular antennae that, you know, tell me what's spiritually true or not.
0: So what's your
1: angle? Well, my angle was to do something very different, which was to try to write the history of the conflict between the Chinese state and Falun Gong. And to do that, the the way to write that, was to concentrate on people what they did, their actions. Not their words. I don't really care about words in China. Words, people use a lot of words in China. They say a lot of things in China, okay? <laughs> Chinese people say a lot of stuff, okay? And frankly, a lot of it doesn't mean that much. It's what you do that counts. It's how you handle crisis that matters. And the interesting part of the story to me was the practitioners because they hadn't gone away. It was that basic thing that there is this woman and she's still there and they're still in it. Somehow they survived. And I thought it's like maybe the way Putin looks at Ukraine. They won't last a day. You know, it's kind of like that. So, so that was what impressed me and thought that became my puzzle. Okay, so how did they do this? It's almost like magic. How did they survive under this kind of toxic conditions? Uh, so I went through a lot of, uh, that was a lot of the research from my book. I was just trying to figure that out. Uh, Now, if out of that a spiritual story arrives, fine. It's not really, it's not my job as a writer to proselytize, to do that. It's my job as a writer to make a person come alive, to make witnesses come alive. And why do you
0: think the Westerners should understand such stories?
1: Well, I think a story of, of a human being is always more compelling than an abstract story. most people Uh, I I really do and I think uh, if I have any objection to sort of the Chinese method of of preparing stories is they're usually these archetypes. They're usually perfect, perfect evil, perfect good, and that kind of thing. And it's like real people aren't like that. And real practitioners, even in my book, aren't really like that. Okay, they have have successes, they have failings, they have moments of, of, uh, you know, horror and terror, they have moments of joy. I mean, you know, just, you know, really strong ones. And my job was to tell those stories, get that intensity in there. As much as i could uh so i had to i sometimes in the book uh, the slaughter I, I write from the perspective of a middle-aged woman who's running on the street because she's being pursued and her coat her down coat is too heavy and she has sweat all of, within this down coat and she has sweat between her breasts now i don't have breasts i have to imagine what it would be like but i imagine that okay it, I had to write from all kinds of perspectives to make this real. But this is very useful for a writer, too, because it means you have to, you start to think in those terms. You start to think, like, what's it like to do that? What's it like to be like this? I, I don't think that's a bad, a bad quality. If you're signaling that you're doing that, the reader can accept that you're entering a world which is, is what we call non, it's a non-fiction narrative. It is nonfiction. It's not made up, but it's narrative. It's it's written as a story. Okay, that means it's maybe streamlined in certain areas, right? Uh, anyways, it's neither here nor there. What I was trying to do was say, judge Falun. I mean, the other part of it was to say, judge Falun Gong by its actions, judge the Chinese state by their actions.
0: In what it's, do you see
1: them? Well, I mean, the point is that I mean, I've I've seen journalist who sort of said, you know, well, Falun Gong says this, but the Chinese government says this. Well, would they go back to the Second World War and say, the Jews say this, but the Nazis say this? It's like, no, you wouldn't. Okay. And similarly, if you read between the lines, the Chinese state is usually lying, and Falun Gong, it's not just what they say but if you look at the evidence the Chinese state was lying and Falun Gong was generally telling the truth or generally acting out a kind of uh, a kind of truth right uh, when Falun Gong said for example we're nonviolent well I looked very hard very very hard for cases of violence and unless you count cutting a, a cord, violence I don't uh, you know, changing the TV transmission to another signal. I don't consider that. If you consider that violence, okay. I mean, I, I, I understand some Chinese people do. I don't really TV think that's. Change signal for what? Oh, for you. Uh, this was in the case of the Chun TV hijackers who changed the signals to uh, fall fallen guard programming on the television stations. To do that, they had to cut wires, they had to re-splice them. What? That's violence? That's not violence, okay. All right. um, blowing up a train is violence right? uh, <laughs> I mean, shooting somebody in a car is violence uh, knifing somebody to death in their sleep that is violence This is, this is I could find no cases of any real violence uh, so that part seemed very real to me uh, and I was able to I think prove that, that that any of those charges were false but I didn't approach it as a court case uh, because I think that's that's not my job right. my job is to let people come up with their own conclusions without it being a court case without a prosecutor and a defender right. so, uh, but the basic you know if you're asking for the conclusions I'm not going to give you conclusions the conclusions in the book I really highly suggest you read it you can get it for almost nothing now it's in Chinese okay it's it's brilliantly translated. It's in Chinese. It's in complex characters if you like those, and simplified mainland characters if you like those. It's right out there on the web. It's free for Chinese readers. Okay, English readers different. You still have to pay something, but you can find a used copy for a reasonable price. And uh, no, I I'm, I didn't even make conclusions in the book. That wasn't the intention.
0: So Falun Gong came from China and the persecution happened in China. So for Westerners and Americans especially, how it was understood, Ethan Gutman admits that it did take quite some time for Americans to understand Falun Gong and the whole situation.
1: That over time, Falun Gong made its case. So I think um, a lot of it was just cultural. There was not a lot of cultural understanding uh, by a lot of Falun Gong of uh, America at the time. And I don't think that's it, there's no shame in that. Uh, But there's a learning curve. Uh, And in a way, I thought that was actually the thing that made me a little more convinced the Falun Gong were pure victims because they did not arrive in with a clearly a a big political uh, agenda. Uh, Even though I thought that if they had a political agenda, there's no problem that either. Uh, so I never, uh, that's another problem I think Falun Gong had, was it was so eager not to offend the mainland sensibilities. So in other words, the mainland, they say, oh, it's a political organization. Like, that's a bad thing. What's wrong with that? Well, politics is a dirty business in China. Politics in China means you want power. Uh, it means karaoke bars. It means graft. It means maybe killing or all these things. Uh... In America, it doesn't mean those things necessarily. It's not so bad to be in politics. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, uh, so I, I think a lot of it was cultural. Uh, and also, and, and the other thing was, I do think the spirituality was widely misunderstood. The basic principles of following Groner are obviously not only inoffensive, but desirable. If all practitioners could live up to them, it would be fantastic. And most try very hard to live up to the principles.
0: In talking about the principles of Falun Gong, which can summarize in three words, truthfulness, compassion, forbearance, Ethan said he especially admired one of them.
1: The other thing, I admired very much the quality of forbearance, above all. Because I admired, uh, it was the ability to be tolerant and also to be, you know, in difficult situations, to not be disheartened, to go on. If it was, it's always too hot, it's always too cold. There's always suffering, okay? These are these are valuable lessons to lead in life. If you think about that, you'd waste your time. You have to move on, keep moving, keep moving. And uh, in that sense, the one area I really share uh, with uh, Falun Gong, uh, just as a person is, I'm very uh, stubborn. I think you have a nicer word for it in Chinese, for stubbornness. But I don't like to give up. Uh, very stubborn. Falun Gong are very stubborn. I really respect that. I'm the same way. Uh, and uh, it's, that's that's in that sense. It's been a very good relationship over the years.
0: So, in the past 23 years, every year at the anniversary of the persecution approaches which is around July 20th Falun Gong practitioners from all over the United States and actually you know from all around the world before the pandemic will go to Washington DC to generate awareness to the continuous crackdown and appeal for stopping the brutal persecution this you know give the CCP a pretext of Falun Gong is political. However, Falun Gong's first petition on the Capitol Hill gave Ethan Gutman first hand information to understand the purity of Falun Gong. That's in the summer of 1999, after July 20th, when the CCP government started the nationwide crackdown of Falun Gong and the nationwide arrest. Some practitioners in the United States gathered in front of the Capitol Hill for the first time under the scro- uh, under the scroaching sun they quietly meditate and practiced exercises with some banners showing their quest for ending the persecution Ethan Gutman went there to film the scene for a documentary he was working on for the late TV producer and independent filmmaker Danny Schechter. And later on, it became the documentary of uh, with the title of uh, Falun Gong, The Real Story. Ethan not only witnessed this first petition of Falun Gong practitioners in the United States, but also sort of directed an episode which he just cannot help smiling and even laughing. Uh, Just uh, even though uh, what at hand, what we are talking about, is a pretty serious topic.
1: This fellow named Alan, uh, uh, who came up and he was very friendly. I was filming Falun Gong because they had come down to the capitol. It was the first time they'd ever sort of demonstrated in front of the capitol. they wouldn't even want to call it a demonstration, but that's what it looked like, pretty much. They were doing the exercises and stuff like this. And, and uh, Alan came up to me, and he didn't know me, and he said, um, "You seem like you know something here, and uh, you know you're." I said, "Yeah, I'm working with Danny Schechter, and uh, that's where I got these cameras from." And I, he said, "You know something about politics?" I said, "Yeah, I used to. Well, I've lived here for many years." And he said, "Um, who should I talk to in the Capitol building? And I said, well, you might want to talk to Senator Ted Kennedy. And he said, why is that? I said, because he's Mr. Human Rights. And he said, okay, that's great. You'd heard of Ted Kennedy. Uh, Kennedys are very famous. So uh, then he said, is there anybody else? And I said, yeah, you might want to talk to uh, Jesse Helms, Senator Jesse Helms. And he said, who's he? And I said, he's a very right-wing Republican. He's Mr. Religious Freedom. I said, just talking to him is, is really scary for Big Jake. They, they fear him. okay, Because he's so tough. And uh, he said, okay, great, thanks. And I said, listen, can I just do a kind of TV thing and, and shoot, you know, have a little interview with you, stand-up interview, while you're getting ready to go in the Capitol there. And he said, okay. So he stood up there, and he's got a suit, and we mic him up, put the mics inside, and and I've got the capital right over his shoulder perfectly. And I said, uh, "I said, okay, so who are you going to talk to in there? And he says, Jessica Helms. And I <laughs> I just couldn't help it. I started laughing. And, you know, and uh, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, it's like, I don't mean to laugh. It's just you, you guys aren't that you know, experienced with this, right? And he said, he just turned kind of white. And he said, no, we're not experienced with this. I've never done anything like this before. I'm a computer programmer. I just flew in to see what I can do because people are dying in Beijing.
0: I'm a software engineer. I flew in yesterday and trying to help out the situation in China because a lot of people are suffering and uh, serious, uh, severe infringement of human rights. A lot of people are arrested, detained. I wish American people, including American senators and congressmen, can understand us more.
1: It was a great answer. It was so authentic. It was so strong. And uh, I said, that's fantastic. You know, great. This is really good. Thank you so much. It was the opposite. It, it, exactly when Beijing was saying, oh, this is fake. This is, a, you know, American creation. This is, you know, some political scheme. These people are revolutionaries or something. And you have this guy. It does Jesse Helms is. I mean, it's really cute, right? And then comes back with that answer, which you could not have faked. You could not faked that I mean he said that so perfectly and just he was so you know this combination of embarrassment and anger is, can be so powerful sometimes it can be so compelling and uh, you know no they were actually true victims in coming in and uh, I've, I've talked to uh, I've talked to other people about those days uh, that was a whole part of the book I never wrote uh, there's two chapters that ended up I just ended up throwing away one was called uh the American Wilderness. That was about Falun Gong trying to make it in the, you know, the beginnings of the West. And the other was called The West's Awake. And that was about when Falun Gong was really building media and, uh, uh, you know, constructing this vast, dissonant media which had no, not even existed before, right? Uh, which so many people have to become so dependent on, right? Um, so I think, you know, when I look at that, I... Uh, uh, you know, I thought what also what Falun Gong achieved was rather impressive, and that's my personal opinion, that it was very impressive under these under these terrible, terrible conditions. Uh, so I would have to say that's been a, a, a great moment of my life and, and a defining moment of my life, as we're working on this struggle. And I'm just very sorry that it's not over. Uh, and I'm very sorry that we can't bring these heroes back to life because there were so many. Uh, and all I can do is, the best I can do is try to bring them back to life in a book temporarily. But that's it's best we can do. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, during this journey, what do you think is the most, like, takeaway for yourself or for, you know, what you wanted for the audience to or the readers
1: to take away about the struggle of final love. I wanted them to understand that de- deliverance or potential deliverance does not come from the expected place and does not it will not look if there's a messiah it will not look like what you thought it would look like. Uh, If there's anything, if there's any aspect in my own mind which is spiritual, it is that. It is, life should be surprising. There should be. When Falun Gong, Falun Gong came out of the China box 10 years after Tiananmen. Not quite to the day, but pretty close, okay? And uh, made itself known. Most journalists were incredibly disappointed. They had this student movement, which had created a facsimile, a Chinese facsimile of the Statue of Liberty, and you know, dancing and things that were very chanting and and things that were very familiar to Westerners, right? Very camera ready. Falun Gong came out and stood in front of Zhongnanhai, quietly. Uh this was not meditating. This was not what they expected. I would say that we don't always know... Uh, I'm not saying falling God is a Messiah. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we don't know how the winds have changed blow in China. Uh, and we're way too quick to judge them on our standards. I don't usually say this about the West. I say we have a right to judge things by our standards. But in this case, I say, no, we did not. Just because Falun Gong had a very different style, one that we were unaccustomed to, uh, that was just practically bigotry that we couldn't see that this had meaning within the Chinese context. It took me a long time to see that meaning. It took me years before I could uh, talk to Falun Gong and without flinching at times from their belief systems, which seem so different than mine. But over time, I could do it. I got very relaxed and comfortable with it. Uh, it's possible to do that. Uh, and I do believe if there's, you know, people say, what's the point of life? And to me, one of the points of life is to be able to do that, is to recognize something that is really, truly different uh, and see the beauty in it. So uh, I would have to say that's that's been the defining point for me. I guess not so much... But I suppose I'm trying to transmit that to the reader subtly, through too.
0: We are writing history every day, right? But yeah. sometimes, you know, history has to be told after many, many years passed. Um, so, but, you know, just from what you understand right now, what's the possible significance of Falun Gong, you know, in the history?
1: Well, I mean, look, I mean, Let's, put it, let's think about it a slightly different way. Let's think about Constantinople, okay? Let's use a, a European example instead. You know, you can look at Taiwan uh, as, and you can look at Falun Gong in some ways as Constantinople. There are different alternatives for the world. Well, you can look at, well, the world rages. Uh, these things hold fast for a long time or you can look at Falun Gong as more like the monks on the west coast of Ireland who preserved the, the actually biblical documents at a time that all of Europe was under fire from the Vikings but they did do it uh, they preserved civilization uh, there is aspects of Falun Gong, which clearly do go deep, deep into the Chinese psyche, into some very, very ancient past, a different way of thinking, feeling things even, uh, that obviously needs to be preserved. It's it's very clear it needs to be preserved. It's now whether or not it can ever take off again and sort of, you know, I have no I have no understanding about that and I would not make any predictions about that. But Uh, Clearly, something terrible has happened with the Chinese Communism. Something terrible has happened to China. One of the reasons you could sense that was their response to Falun Gong. You know, it was never just about, well, you know, this group is too big. It wasn't just about that. It was about the fact that this group was espousing principles which went contrary to the vision of a new and powerful China that the Communist Party thinks is China supposed to be so truth doesn't belong in that new powerful communist China compassion obviously doesn't belong in it and forbearance is is for others is for the weaklings that's for the nations we conquer they have to tolerate they have to put up with these things not us they looked at Falun Gong and saw it as feminine and weak and you know Fragile and all these things. Uh, strangely enough, Grove was able to show that it had an inner strength and, and, and clearly within, certainly within the people who resisted. Uh, but I think it's, it's, you know, that's, that's a conflict that's going to be possibly around for a long time. But I don't make predictions. I've been too wrong too many times to make predictions. So, uh can't say. It's very important that Falun Gong has survived, that it, it survives in a real way. Uh, it's very important to keep uh, memory alive of uh, people who have gone before. So uh, I hope I've been in a, a little bit a part of that. So.
0: Regarding the con- Chinese Communist Party's uh, continuous persecution of uh, Falun Gong, the group of uh, innocent people, and uh, the unremitting struggle of the Falun Gong practitioners over the past 23 years. The principal China policy and planning advisor to former United States uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Professor Mao Zeyu, he made the following comments. It is in Chinese, so I will translate for you. So, Professor Mao Zedong said, In a person's life, 23 years is not um, a very short period of time. However, the persecution of democracy and human rights by the Chinese Communist Party, especially the persecution of Falun Gong, is a brief chapter in the CCP's 100-year bloody history. He continued, said, The Chinese Communist Party's regime will not change. The persecution of kind-hearted groups will never stop. So, he said, My condemnation of the CCP's persecution of Falun Gong is consistent because it reflects the CCP's violation of all human rights. He said, on the other hand, The Falun Gong practitioners have made brilliant achievements in safeguarding their own rights and making unremitting efforts to resist the repression of the Chinese Communist Party. So he said, uh, I congratulate them. And finally he said uh, he encouraged people not to lose hope. He said the road is tortuous, but the future is bright. So that's the comment by Professor Mao Yu. Indeed, from the perspective of history, 23 years is like a drop in the sea. However, during this over like 8,000 days, 8,300 days for everyone who directly involved it, they just experienced so much. And perhaps you know, how people view such things could determine the future and could determine uh, the position in the future of the history. So just wonder how do you think of it? So what's your takeaway from Ethan Gutmann's, um interview? So I'm curious to know about that. So if you could just please share in the comments, you know, it will be great. So um, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, do you enjoy this interview? You know, what's the most thing that you, you know, like for you to take away, right? So he said a lot of uh, things. Like, uh, for example, he said, the judge, the Falun Gong by their action, and the judge, the CCP by their action. I think, you know, it's totally, you know, it's so true because for during the past 23 years, the Chinese Communist regime not only just uh, used their propaganda machine in China, but also infiltrate the media in the West to, you know, just um, demonize Falun Gong, you know, and uh, of course, you know, doing all other propaganda. So, Ethan Gutman, I think he really got that right. You know, not judge by what they say, but judge by the actions, and uh, also. You know just um curious what are the other uh takeaways you have or do you have any questions it's um you know it's uh, right now you know today it's um here we um it's uh July nineteenth but exactly in China it's uh, July twentieth in you know, the twenty three years ago today just marked. The start of the brutal persecution by the Chinese Communist Party, and it involves directly, you know, about 100 million people who practice Falun Gong, but also their loved ones, their family members. Um, you know, so it's much many more than just the 100 million people. Yeah, so how do you think? Let me see uh, any other comments here. Uh, Ruth, Ruth you said truth is being written and talked about. Great patriots here. Thank you. And um Louis said uh, this is a very good this is a good interview. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, your feedback. So, yeah, not a lot of um, discussion here today. So, yeah, just wonder how everybody else think. Uh, let's see, any comments on the SafeChat? Uh Let me see, let me get there. In the meanwhile, if you have other, you know, comments, just uh, feel free to leave there. I really would like to learn from you. What's your thought? okay uh, so I think uh, that's it for today you know uh, I hope there you know this interview provides with you um, more information that you may or may not think of before and uh, the perspective of Ethan Gutman you know indeed he for the past 23 years just you know start from the beginning he, Somehow, start you know, got involved in one way or the other, and he just did a lot of, lot of interviews, like a hundred interviews, in order to do the um, reports on the organ harvesting by the Chinese Communist government, especially on the uh, Falun Gong practitioners and the Uyghurs. So, and for that, he, as a third-party investigator, together with. Uh, two human rights lawyers, or one of them is um, in Canada, one of them is uh, David Mattis, the other is a former Canadian parliament member, David Cougar. They Together they did uh, two reports on the organ harvesting by the CCP, which just attracted so much uh, attention, and uh, he testified in different parliaments and the, the U.S. Congress to talk about that. And just in the past, um, the International Religious Freedom Summit, he was again invited to uh, discuss this very important issue. So, uh, Louis, you said, only time will tell the fate of Falun Gong. Americans are tolerant because we have freedom of Religion, yes, that's um, that, that's very true. So, yeah, and time will tell, and uh, uh, it's just uh, you know a lot of Falun Gong practitioners. Why they every year, in the actually continuously, they come out to appeal to the public, especially here in the United States, where we have the freedom of religion, freedom of belief, and freedom of press, because they do have loved ones and even some people they don't know in China, but being persecuted, losing life. And, uh, you know, any voice from the free land, like the United States would help to stop the persecution, you know, as early as possible to just um, so that uh, less people will lose life and the more people can enjoy the uh, freedom of belief and the freedom of assembly, um, you know, the freedom, the rights that we enjoy here uh, earlier. So, um, all right. Yeah, so I'm so glad that uh, you spend the the time with me for this episode and uh, uh, I hope you will be safe and uh, take care. We'll see you uh, in another show. All right. So good night. Bye-bye.